Second Timothy chapter 3 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 17. Second Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse number 15 down to 17. Last week we examined the veracity of the Bible, the truthfulness of the Bible, how that the Bible is trustworthy. The week before that we looked at the fact that God is real and he exists and proof of the existence of God. And those are things that you know we know in our heads, but it's important for us to know why we know it in our heads. Because if someone comes to you and says, why do you believe that God exists? How could a God exist that would do this or that? And these kind of things. You know, we need to know why we believe God exists. Not only that, but we need to know why we believe the Bible is trustworthy. Last week, we pointed out that the Bible is a reliable collection of historical, instructional, and prophetical documents inspired by God, written by eyewitnesses or from eyewitness accounts during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses and confirmed by fulfilled prophecies, archaeology, and thousands of ancient manuscripts. We can trust this book. It's a dependable book. But once we say, yes, this is a dependable book, then the question comes to our mind, well, does it really meet all of our needs? Does it, is it sufficient to take care of all of our issues? Does it answer all of the questions that we're going to face in life? Is, is the sufficiency of the Bible a genuine truth? And that's where we're going to focus our thoughts on this morning because, you know, there's a lot of questions that come up in our, our, our world today. Questions about origins and marriage and parenting and abortion and morality and fossils and suffering and tragedies and, and all these kind of things and multitudes of more. How are we going to answer those things? We've got to be able to know confidently this book has the answers for everything we need. And I want to show you that this morning, and I, that's my goal to be able to prove that to you this morning as we dig into the scriptures. But here in Second Timothy chapter 3, let's, you follow along as I read, and uh, beginning with verse number 15. It says, and it's speaking here of to Timothy, of Timothy, okay? And Paul was writing it. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. As we look at this, I want us to notice five different things that Paul, uh, Paul tells us. Well, actually six, the five main ones and then, then another one that he concludes with here but that tell us that the Bible is sufficient for all we need. The Bible is sufficient. Number one, we see here that the Bible is sufficient for wisdom unto salvation. Verse number 15, Timothy was a uh, a young preacher, and Paul was writing to him, and he said, Now, Timothy, remember that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. They're able to make thee wise unto salvation. The Scriptures are able to make you wise. Now, God's plan of salvation is the theme of the Bible. From the beginning to the end, we see right in, as God created Adam and Eve, and then after the creation, we know that Adam and Eve sinned against God, and God then, right after they sinned, God put in a little word there about the serpent and the, and, and the seed of the woman, indicating that there was 
going to be hope. God was going to provide a rescue, a solution, a savior. And he describes that. So we see there the theme of the Bible. Chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis describes the perfect beginning. And chapter 3 of Genesis describes man's fall into sin. But then chapters 4 of Genesis all the way to Revelation chapter 20 tell us of of, uh, God unfolds his rescue plan. How is God going to rescue sinners from their sin? And that plan involved Jesus Christ coming to this earth, dying on the cross, paying the debt of our sin, and offering to us the gift of eternal life through faith in his Son. And then chapter 21 and 22 of Revelation gives us a preview of God's restoration and how he's going to give us a home eternally with him in heaven if we know him as our Savior. And so the Bible's theme from beginning to end is all about Christ. It's all about what God has done for us to pay the debt for us. Now, God's plan of salvation is through Christ alone. And Paul mentions this to Timothy. He says that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus. The Scriptures Timothy knew from a child. The word child there, we talked about this verse in youth activity the other night. The word child there means an infant. It can refer to someone as small as little Luca or up to a toddler age. And he says, from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. You have known the Holy Scriptures. Now, he, you think, well, how can a little child know the Scriptures? Well, he obviously heard mom and dad talk about the Scriptures, read the Scriptures. He heard it recited. He, he heard it over and over. You know, this is a reminder to us of the importance as families to keep the Scripture as part of our family time every day. We need to have the scriptures before our family, children, and our, oh, those in our family every day. Because the scriptures are what's going to lead them to salvation. And Paul says here that the, through the holy scriptures, you became wise unto salvation. You learned the way of salvation through faith in Christ, through the scriptures. Now, Timothy didn't have the New Testament. All he had was the Old Testament. But it was in that Old Testament that there in books like Isaiah and other places where I spoke of the coming Christ and, and the Messiah coming, that pointed him to Christ. And so we have the privilege of having not just the Old Testament, but we have the New Testament as well. They reveal all that took place there. And so we have the Word of God for us to be able to understand. And God says here that it will make us wise unto salvation. The Scripture is what brings a person to salvation. You know, when you're witnessing to someone, never underestimate the importance of quoting Scripture to them. Your words and my words are usually empty. Or they aren't convicting. But it's the Spirit of God that uses the Scriptures to convict people of their sin. So use the Scriptures. Even if you only have one verse memorized, use that verse and quote it to them and help them to see it and let them read it to be able to see that Christ is works through the scriptures in our hearts. The Apostle Peter, when he preached his sermon at Pentecost, we read there in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 37, that the people were pricked in their heart. Why? It's from the preaching of the word. It pricked them in their heart and said, what do we need to do? And Peter said, you need to be saved. We read also in the account of the Philippian jailer. We don't know when he heard the gospel, 
But there's the great earthquake. Paul and Silas are in prison for preaching the gospel. And the great earthquake shakes the prison and all the prisoners are set free. And the the jailer's terrified that they're going to escape and and then he'll be tortured to death. So he's going to kill himself. And Paul sees what's happening. He says, don't kill yourself. We're all here. And he came in. And what did he say? He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And what did they do? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's the scriptures, the gospel that convicts and brings people to salvation. And so we need to share the gospel. We need to know the gospel. We need to keep the gospel in the forefront of our minds. God's plan of salvation through Christ is recorded in the scriptures. It's sufficient. There's no other means of salvation. We don't need another book. We don't need another person. We, all we have is in Christ. And we read there in, in uh, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Some people say, well, that's not very nice, you know, to say that Jesus, no, that is the truth. Jesus is the way, truth, and life. There's no other way to heaven besides Jesus. He is our only hope. Peter preached in Acts chapter 4, He said, neither is there any salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. The only name that can save you is the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only one who's paid the debt of our sin. He paid for all of our sin completely. Offers us a free gift of eternal life if we will repent of our sin and trust Him. Salvation is through Christ. And the salvation that the Bible has for us there is sufficient. So the Bible is sufficient for all we need about salvation. You don't need to find another book or another guru to teach you or show you something about a way to get you to eternal life. The scriptures tell us all we need. And it explains all we need in the scriptures for us. So the scriptures are sufficient for salvation. But then goes on, Paul goes on here in verse number 16. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed. And it is profitable. It's sufficient. For doctrine. Doctrine. The word doctrine there refers to teaching and instruction. Much of the Bible deals with teaching and instruction. There's a lot of that in the Bible. Especially um, books like Proverbs, full of instruction and teaching. And the New Testament Gospels are full of instruction and teaching. But there's a lot of teaching in the Old Testament as well. And the Bible instructs us and on every topic we'll ever need to know in this life. It's the manual for everything we need. You know, if you were to buy a new, a new appliance, not long ago, my wife and I got a different oven. And it was, it was given to us. And so the, it was given to us secondhand, but it was almost new. All right? And we tried figuring it out at first, and the first few things burned. <laughs> didn't work very good because we couldn't figure it out. But we asked the person that gave it to us, do you have the manual? Oh, yeah, I think so. I'll find it. They find the manual. You open up the manual. Oh, it's amazing what you can learn from the manual. Right? The manual tells you how to do it, how to set things, how to adjust things. And, what to, and you know, the manual was written by the pre- people that created and designed it and put it together. They know better than anything else how to use it. And so it is. This manual here is God's manual for life. And he says, I'll tell you how to get on in life just fine. If you'll just listen to me, read the manual. 
The manual will tell you what you need. But you know, many times Christians don't read the manual and they try to get on without reading the manual and they stumble and fall and, and uh, burn their cakes and, and, you know, they can't figure out why it isn't working. It's because you didn't read the manual. Alright? And so we need to spend time in the book. God says here that it'll give you all you need about doctrine. Now the scriptures will teach us and speak to us in two ways. Either in word or in principle. Now the words are easy to figure out. We don't always like it. We don't always obey it. But it's not hard to figure out. God says do this and he says don't do that. I mean that's pretty basic. But the principles sometimes we miss. What are the principles? You know for example. When you look at the principles of the Bible. You find somebody that did something. And saw how God responded to what he did. You can learn principles from that. Alright. For example you can look at. At um, the life of, of Daniel, for example. You look at Daniel in the Bible and you see how Daniel lived for God in, in a land where he was, he was, first of all, he lost his parents during the battle. He was made a eunuch as he went to, into slavery. He spent the rest of his years as a slave in Babylon. And yet, how did Daniel respond? Daniel responded in a proper way, and God elevated him and elevated him and elevated him, and Daniel was basically second or third in the kingdom most of the time he was in Babylon. Why? Because of how he lived. Now, we can learn principles from that. Now, God doesn't tell us there, do this and do this, and you're going to be like Daniel. But the principle is, Daniel responded right to these situations during the, even when he faced that trial of, stop praying or you're going to go feed the lions. And Daniel said, well, if I feed the lions, I feed the lions, but I'm going to keep praying. And he left it with God, and God protected him. What if God hadn't protected him? What if he had been food for the lions? God still would have been right. Daniel still would have been right because he did what God wanted him to do. But we can learn principles from that. So the principles are the things that you learn from how God responded or how the situation turned out, how God worked out the situation. Those are the principles. The commands or the, the words are the clear things that he teaches us. Now, when we look at this, we think, well, yes, but pastor, what if, what if science or society disagrees with the Bible? What are we supposed to do? Well, I think Paul kind of hit it right on the head when he said in Romans 3, verse 4, he said, let God be true and every man a liar. The Bible's right. It doesn't matter what men say. It doesn't matter what science says. It doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what society says. The Bible is right. The Bible is God's word. We can depend upon the Bible. We saw that last week. The Bible is is a dependable book. And we can depend upon it. And since God said that certain things in the Bible, we can believe that they're true. For example, with, uh, with creation. Evolution obviously says... You know, there are millions and millions and billions of years ago, this big explosion, and then all these things happened, and, and non-life turned into life, and it all eventually got better and better and better and better and better until we, we turned into man. Well, that goes against science, but it's their theory. All right, it defies the second law of thermodynamics that says that everything's getting worse and worse and worse and worse, but that doesn't matter. It's, that, that's their theory, and that's popular today. And if you don't believe that theory, you're looked at as a nut. You say, but I believe God created it. Oh, you're one of those weirdos, huh? Well, the Bible, how can we know that? We can trust the Bible because God was there. God created it. God did it. And God said he did it. And he said he did it in six 24-hour literal days. 
about 6,000 years ago. And we can believe that. We can trust that. Because the Bible is a dependable, accurate book. And it was written by men whom God inspired. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11 tells us that for six days the Lord made, created all things. He created in six days. He, and he rested the seventh day. God didn't create, you know, over six billion years and then rested a billion years. It didn't work that way. God did it like he said he did it. We can depend upon the Bible. And it, many may say today that there are no absolute truths. We live in an age when there's relativism all over the place. You may believe that, but I believe this. And you can believe what you want. I'll believe what I want. We're both right. Well, that's not true. That's not true. In fact, Jesus made that very clear. In John chapter 17, verse 17, when Jesus was praying to his father, he said, sanctify them by thy, uh, through thy truth. Thy word is truth. He said, this is the truth. This book is the truth. And he says, I want you to sanctify them through the truth of the word of God. So we can depend upon the Bible. The Bible is God's word. We can depend upon it. And it will be there to help us and guide us in in word and in principle. It gives us God's mind. God's mind about all these issues, about morality, about marriage, about divorce, about parenting, about communication and suffering and conflict and and salvation and heaven and hell and sanctification and separation and church polity and disasters and future events and the list goes on and on. The Bible gives us what God wants us to have. It's God's mind. It'll help us. You say, well, Pastor, where in there is it say that? Well, you know, we, like I said, there's principles there. For example, some people back well, when I was a teenager, it was back in the hippie area, era, and people would say, where in the Bible does it say I can't smoke marijuana? Well, you can't find a verse in this that says, thou shalt not smoke marijuana. But there's principles all through the scriptures that say not to do those kind of things. To treat our body with respect because it's God's body. And once you know Christ your Savior, he's, he bought you, purchased you. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to God. You better take care of this place. It's not yours. It's God's. And so there's principles that are all through the scripture. Every situation we may find, there are principles that can help us to make right choices. And God wants us to turn to the Bible for the answers. The Bible is our supreme and ultimate authority in every area. It doesn't mean we can't seek a commentary or a Bible preacher or a teacher or some books for some help along the way as long as they're faithful to the Bible. There's a lot of it out there, you know. And if you're one of these type of people that just scans the, the web or the television looking for somebody to listen to, be careful! There's a lot of shysters out there. There's a lot of people out there that lead you astray. But if you find somebody that's genuine and true and faithful to scriptures, then fine. But there's a lot of... Just be careful. And God's warning us of these things. He said the scriptures are our guide. This is what we need to stand on. Sometimes the Bible does not seem logical. Sometimes it may seem out of date. What do you do then? We just stick to the Bible. It it, it may not be logical to me, but it makes perfectly good sense to God. He wrote the manual. Just like that oven we got. You know, some of the things that is said in that thing, well, that doesn't make sense. Maybe I should try that. It doesn't work. Do it the way they said, and it'll work. And God said, if you do it my way, it'll work. Even if you don't understand, even if it doesn't make sense to you, do it my way. 
I know what I'm doing. I made it, I'll created it, and it'll work fine if you do it my way. So God wants us to follow his leading and his instruction. And it, because it is God's word, and God is the source of it, and we, a couple of weeks ago, we, we established the existence of God through design and through cause and effect, or through the fact that he is the life giver of life. And uh, he created instincts. And there's this morality that we have that all of us know deep down inside there's a right and a wrong. We all know that down inside. Now, we may not all understand exactly where to draw the line, but we all know down inside there is a right and a wrong. And if, if anybody says, no, I don't believe that, there's no right and wrong, then say, well, fine, I'll be over tonight and I'm going to break through your house and steal what you got and take it home. No, you can't do that. Why not? There's no right and wrong. <laughs> there is. We all believe that there's a right and wrong deep down inside. And that even natural laws, I mentioned a moment ago, the laws of thermodynamics and things like that, just that show us that there is a God. And so we've, we've established that God exists. We've established that the scriptures are, are sufficient, are, are, are true. And now we see that these scriptures are sufficient to give us all the doctrine we need. Doctrine, remember, is the teachings about all the things we need. But then he goes on, and very wisely God tells us that it's not only sufficient for doctrine, but it's sufficient for reproof. Reproof means conviction. It's the idea that the scriptures will work in us to prove or to test us, to see whether we're doing what is right. I've often used the example of a, a sieve. You know, I've got a big sieve for my compost, and it's about this big around and about that deep, and in the bottom it's got small holes in it. You can put your compost or dirt in there and shake it around, and, and the, the big stuff stays inside, and you throw that out, and you save the nice soft stuff you can work with. And, and, you know, that, and so it is in our life. God says the Bible is that sieve. You put all the questions of life into that. You know, should I go to this party? Should I be, be over there? Should I attend that? Should I say that? Is that the right way to act? Is that the way right to dress? You put it all in there. You sift it through the scripture. Let the scriptures guide you. If it goes through, you say, fine. If it doesn't go through, what did God say? Throw it out. And sometimes people say, well, that's so narrow. Yes, it is narrow. It allows the scriptures to be my guide. Let God be our guide. And so God said, that's what I want. Remember the, the manual. He wrote the manual. He's going to tell us right. So we need to let the scriptures be our guide and show us what is right and what is wrong. There's a lot of philosophies in our world that are not going to go through God's grid. A lot of things that we see around us that just don't please God. And it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. It doesn't matter what all the other churches are doing. It doesn't matter what all the Christians are doing. It matters what God said. You need to evaluate your life through the scriptures. Let the Bible be your guide. So the scriptures, he says, will reprove us. It will convict us when we do wrong. You know, when we choose to do something that doesn't pass God's test, the Bible says, that's not right. That's not right. And you know, when you read the scripture or you hear the preaching and, and something is said that about something that's one of the things that you are doing that, that you kind of had questions about, wasn't sure, and God says, mm-hmm, that's not right. What is it? It's the scripture saying, that's not right, that's not right, that's not right. And when the scripture does that, we've got to respond. How are we going to respond? In two ways. Either say, be quiet, leave me alone, and ignore the scripture, 
or you say, God, you're right. I'm sorry. And the right response that God wants is for us to humble ourselves before him and respond humbly and broken. The word reproof deals with conviction. It also deals with rebuke. It testifies against us. It shows us our wrong. It, re- it says, that's not right. It jabs us when we're guilty. A couple of weeks ago, I used the illustration. I think it was in the evening service, but if it wasn't, it doesn't matter. You'll, you'll bear with it. Growing up on a farm, we had an electric fence around our, our paddock. And the electric fence was kept hot. If you've never touched an electric fence, you don't need to fear. It won't kill you. Uh, you might feel like it did, but it won't kill you. It just gives you a, a jolt that makes you not forget that you touched it. All right? And the, the fence was around there. Why? It was a rebuke to the cattle. If they walked up there, they got used to it so they could see, yes, there's that fence. I remember that one the last time I was here, and I'm not going to go that close. I'm going to keep my distance from that. It was a rebuke because if they touched it, bang, they'd get a shock that would set them back and say, well, I won't do that again. All right? And so it is the scriptures work as a rebuke to us to say, don't do that. Don't do that. That's not right. That doesn't please God. That's not going to help you. That's not going to be good for you. Bible reading and pondering the Bible will, re- will reprove us when we step out of line. You know, it's our friend. The Bible is our precious friend. You know, we don't like being reproved. None of us, none of us like that. If, 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 if I did something wrong and you come up to me and say, Pastor, you did this, and that wasn't right, and I think, don't like that, but you're right. It wasn't right. I'm sorry. That's the way we're supposed to respond. And when the Bible convicts us, we're supposed to say, God, you're right. All right, God, I'm going to need your help to get that out of my life and change. You're right, God. I was wrong. And so there's the, re- the reproof. But then he goes on, he says the next thing, he says, oh, this, this reproof here is sufficient for all of our situations. You know, no matter what kind of a situation you're in, if you do something that's not right, and the scriptures are sufficient to reprove you and say, that's not right. But not only that, but the scriptures are sufficient to correct us. And this is a wonderful truth. The word correct there deals with restoration. God wants us to be restored. Why does he do those things? Why does he chasten us? Why does he convict us? Because he wants us to get back right with him. He wants us to get on the right path. Why do we have that fence around our paddock? Because we want the cattle to stay inside. If they go outside, they're going to get themselves into trouble. They need to stay inside. And if they listen to that and respond properly, they stay inside and they're protected. And God said the same thing with us. If we'll stay in his closeness and stay close to him he said i'll protect you i'll meet your needs i'll bless you but sometimes you know we we are typically i want my freedom i want to do what i want to do don't tell me what to do i don't like being restricted and we run into the fence and god says no stay close but the correction here is to It's not just conviction to make us feel guilty, but it shows us restoration. 
It shows us how to be restored. That is God's goal. God's goal is always to bring you back to where you were when you left and make you a better person, to get you back to where you ought to be. That's restoration. And that's what God's desire is. That's what the scripture does. All through the scripture, it leads us back to the right path. Proverbs 28:13 says, He that covers his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. What did God say? Says you do wrong, you're not going to prosper. But you confess and forsake it, and God will forgive you, and you'll have mercy again. And he'll restore you, and that's exactly what God wants to do. Over in James chapter 4, I want you to turn over there and have a look at this. We're not far from James. James chapter 4, just a little bit toward the back of your Bible. Get to Hebrews, go a couple pages more. James chapter 4. Four verses that I call the victory steps, verses 7, 8, 9, and 10 of James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Alright, so you touch the fence and God says, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Then he says, draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. What is God saying? He's saying here that if you come to me and say, draw nigh to God, you go close to God after you've done wrong. You come back to God and say, God, I was wrong. And you come humbly back to God. And God says, if you'll do that, you draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. He says, cleanse your hands. Purify your heart. He says, get right with God. Confess the things you've done wrong. And then he says, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. What is he saying? He says, you need to be sorrowful about what you've done. It isn't like the little child that gets in trouble and, and, and you say, tell your brother you're sorry. I don't want to. Tell him you're sorry. Mm, sorry. There's no sorrow in that. He did what he was told, but God says, when we come to him, he doesn't want us to just say, sorry, God, I was wrong. He wants us to come to him. He says, I want you to be, be sorrowful and weep and mourn over your sin to realize I was wrong. I hurt God, and it hurt my walk with God, and I hurt others. It was a bad testimony before them, and God, I'm sorry I was wrong. It was not right. And he says, humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. God said, if you humble yourself and get right with him, God's going to lift you up and and you will be blessed because of doing what is right. That's the victory steps. And so when God says the scriptures are sufficient to correct us, they're sufficient to correct us and help us and to lead us and guide us. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word, by heeding the word of God. The scriptures, again, are all we need to guide us back to God and to restore us to the place we have stepped away from. The Bible works to improve our character. When God restores us, he wants to make us better than we were before. The scriptures teach us how to think, right? And it shows us how to do it. It will guide us. And direct us in that. The book of Proverbs is especially helpful in building godly character in our lives. 
full of good truths in the book of Proverbs. You know, every Christian ought to read some in Proverbs every day. If you don't have a habit of reading some of the verses of Proverbs every day, I challenge you, you need to do that. It's full of good doctrinal truth that will guide you and help you and instruct you. And it doesn't matter how many times you read it over. There's so much in it, you will never absorb it all. And there's always something to learn in the book of Proverbs that will help you to become a better person. Diligently studying the Bible will be a great help to you. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. This Paul, or Paul, um, uh, Solomon was talking to his son. And he says, My son, if thou receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and heart, and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her for silver and searchest for hers, for his treasures, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and shalt find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He said, We can learn from God if we'll draw near to God, but it takes effort. Just like one searching for treasures, one listening and hearing and searching and seeking. When's the last time you really opened the scriptures up and said, God, would you please teach me something today? I want to learn. I long to learn. I need to learn. I need to grow. I'm such an anemic Christian. God, would you please teach me from the scriptures? If you'll do that and you search the scriptures like that, God promises you're going to get fed. He'll feed you. But we need to seek it and search for it. So the Bible is sufficient for salvation. It's sufficient for doctrine. sufficient for reproof. It's sufficient for correction. But it's also sufficient for instruction in righteousness. What does that mean? Instruction in righteousness. Think about the situation that's taking place here. He says you've got the doctrine that tells you what to do. And he says you've got the reproof to to shock you or to convict you or to make you feel guilty when you disobey the word of God and you've got the correction to bring you back to God. And he says, now you've got instruction in righteousness to help you to know how to live right after you've mucked up. And we need that. We've all failed. And after we fail, we need to come back to God and say, God, show me what to do now. I've made a mess of things. Show me what to do now. How do I get right and how do I walk now? How do I live now? How do, what, do I, what do I do now, God? What's your desire now? And so he gives us instruction in righteousness. The word instruction there is a word that refers to the whole training of a child. The entire training of a child includes chastening and rebuke and teaching and instruction and the whole gamut. And he says here that it, it, it's a teaching and training that leads to virtue, to make us a better person. So it cultivates both our minds and our morals. Shows us how to correct our mistakes and to curb our passions. The Bible instructs in righteousness. It's profitable and sufficient to instruct us in right living. To show us how to live right. That's what we want. As a Christian, that ought to be what you want. Say, God, I just want to know what to do to live right. And sometimes God says, well, this is the right way. He says, oh, I don't like that. This is like a parent trying to teach the children to eat their vegetables that they don't like. 
and, you know, say, well, eat it anyway. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you like it. And we had, with one of our boys, I don't remember which one it was, he didn't like a couple of different vegetables. And we just said, well, you've got to eat a little bit anyway. Every day, if we have this, you're going to eat a little bit every day. And after a while, he liked them. And he liked them as well as the other ones. They all learned to like them. And, it, you know, God's like that. He'll say, here's your vitamins. Here's your, here's your veggies. Come on, eat them. And he'll say, oh, come on, eat them. And if you eat them and obey God and do the things that he asks you to do, eventually you're going to say, hey, you know, I really like that. That's good. That's helping me. That's helping me to grow. But, you know, if we, if we just say, well, I don't like that one, so I'm going to leave that one off. I remember when Melanie and I were first married, there was a couple in our church that had a couple of little kids. And mom didn't like peas. And so she taught her kids not to like peas. All right? Because mom doesn't like peas, so I don't like peas either. You ever tasted them? Nope, but mom don't like them, so I don't like them. <laughs> one of those situations. And so um, one day the, the mom was smelling something funny in the kitchen. Couldn't figure out what it was. I searched and searched and searched. But they come to find out that their kitchen table had hollow legs and the top of it was open and you could kind of reach under there and feel the top of it. And the kids were taking the peas off their plate and putting them down the hole and in the, in the, filling up the leg of the, <laughs> the table with rotten peas. You know, if that's the way we treat the Word of God and say, but God, I just don't like those peas over there. I don't like that. And you leave it and you skip it. It's not going to help you. It's not going to nourish you. We need to just say, God, help me to learn to like what I don't like. Instead of trying to avoid the things of the scripture they don't like. You know, there may be some teachings in the scriptures you don't particularly like. I, I admit there's some things in there that are kind of hard. But when that happens, we need to say, God, I don't, I don't understand I don't necessarily like this, but you said it's right. Help me to do it because I know you said it was right. We need to believe God, believe his word, and say God's word is sufficient. It's the manual. He knows what's right. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. The Bible instructs us in righteousness over in Ephesians chapter 5. Turn over there with me if you would. We're just a couple of pages from that the other direction. Ephesians chapter 5. Take a look at these verses. Verse 19, Ephesians 5, verse 19. He says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things and that, uh, and the, the, sorry, for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he, he's talking about positive things. You know, sometimes people think the Bible is just a book full of negatives. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. You can't do this. You can't have any fun if you read the Bible and live by the Bible. That's not true. The Bible is full of all kinds of positive things. Here he says, here's some positive things. He says, sing hymns and spiritual songs and, and make melody in your hearts to the Lord and give thanks always. Those are positive things. Over in the book of Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse Thessalonians 5, verse 16, he says, rejoice evermore. That's positive. He says, in the next verse, he says, pray without ceasing. That's positive. In, in verse 18 of First Thessalonians 5, he says, And everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's positive. The Bible is full of positive things. So there's all kinds of positive things. God says, this is what I want you to do. These are good for you. This will bless you. This will help you. This will make you a better person. This will make you a better Christian. This will make you a better worker. This will help you in so many ways. God, God's word is full of that. But we need to just look for it. The Bible keeps us from sin. Psalm 119.11 the word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. 
He said, you hide the word in God in your heart. And by hiding the word in our hearts, many times we think, oh, that's memorizing the Bible. Well, that's part of it. But the word actually goes beyond just memorizing. The idea of, the, of, of hiding the word in your heart is meditating on it. You know, it's easier to memorize than it is to meditate. You might think med- med- memorizing is hard, but meditation's harder because it's so easy to forget it. It's so easy to overlook it. By meditating, I'm talking about you read a scripture and then think about it throughout the day. Think about it as you're laying on your pillow at night. Think about what you read and say, God, what does that teach me? How do I need to do that? What do I need to change to be able to fulfill that promise that you gave me there? What do I need to put into my life? What, what does that teach you? You think about it, meditate on it, chew on it like a cow chewing on its cud, and it'll help you to grow spiritually. That's what God wants. But then we find lastly in verse 17, we're back in Timothy again here. Uh, in verse 17, he tells us there that the reason for all of this, he says that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Here is where he come, brings it all together and says, listen, the scriptures in, in regarding the salvation, regarding doctrine, reproof, correction for instruction in righteousness, they're very fully sufficient in every way to meet your needs. And he says that the man of God may be perfect. The word perfect there means complete. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished. The word thoroughly furnished refers to being totally equipped unto every good work. God wants to complete us. Without these truths that the Bible gives us, we're not going to be complete. We're going to be empty. You know, there's a lot of people in our world today that are empty, unsatisfied, unfulfilled people. But they don't realize that God's the answer. You try to tell them God's the answer. Oh, no, not God. I'm not a religious person. I don't want No, I don't believe that stuff. They don't realize it, but that's what they need. Because God's the writer of the manual. He created the body. He knows what we need. He says, this is what will do you good. And they say, no, 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 I don't want that. And they miss out on the very thing that they desperately need. He said, it will make you complete. It will completely meet your need. We'll never be complete without God's word. You know, even after you trusted Christ your Savior, to walk with God, you need to spend time with God in the Bible. If you neglect the Bible, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle as a Christian. You're going to feel empty and lacking and probably because you neglected the Bible. If you struggle with a sin and a habit, it's probably because you're, you're neglecting the Bible. Spend time with God. And he says that it will equip us, fully equip us. There at the end, he says, thoroughly furnished, fully equipped. Fishermen, some of you like to fish. I'm not a fisherman, but I know a little bit about it. If you're going to go fishing, you need the right tackle and you need the right bait. If you don't have those two things, you're not going to catch any fish. And you who are cooks, you ladies like to cook, some of you guys like to cook. When you're cooking, if you don't have the right saucepans and you don't have the right food items to put in it, you're going to have a tough time making a decent meal. You've got to be equipped. And God says here, I'm going to fully equip you with all that you need in every area of life to meet the needs of all the situations, all the conflicts, all the problems you're going to face in life. I'm going to fully equip you through the scriptures. They're all you need. The Bible alone can fully equip you 
to do the will of God in your life. To help you to be able to resist temptation cheerfully. To be able to witness to relatives. To be able to do what is right. To be the right kind of a worker at work. All of it's in the Scriptures. We need the Scriptures. And so this morning it's been my goal to try to help you to see that the Bible is all you need. You don't need some other book. You don't need some psychology book. You don't need, you, you know, some of those kind of things can be a little help to add to. But if they conflict with the Bible, stick with the Bible. The Bible will lead you the right way. The Bible is sufficient for everything you need in this life. Because it's God's manual for life. We read in Psalm 145, verse 17, we know that all things, or sorry, in, in, it says that the, the Lord is righteous in all his ways. He's righteous in all his ways. And then in Romans 8, 28, the verse I started to read there, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. God will work it out. God knows what's best. We need to trust God and leave it with him. If you're here today and have never trusted the Savior of the Bible, He's never saved your soul. That's where it's got to begin. But if you know Jesus is your Savior, this book is all that you need. This is your manual. I challenge you. Get in the book. Spend time in it. Read it daily. Meditate upon it. Think about it. Let it change your life. It gives you the answers you need. But you just need to get in it and read it and study it. And it will help you. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior, I urge you to come and talk to me. Let me help you to come to know Jesus today as your Savior.